go to for just a, a fun, happy moment in the Scripture. And there you talked already vanity of life, saying we're nothing different than animals, all returning to the dust. It would be better if we were dead than alive. It would be better if we were never born. All right, now let's dig and get something rich out of this text, right? If you've been with us through Ecclesiastes at this point, you've seen the preacher of Ecclesiastes look at life under the sun. A comment that's going to be important to keep in mind is, is life under the sun. It refers to life lived here on earth, more specifically life lived apart from Christ. It's life lived with no account, with no trust, with no faith, with no satisfaction in Christ, but lived for the here and now. That is life under the sun. Another way we might say it is the age that is passing away. We've talked about kind of those two ages that exist together. The age that is passing away. And then the age to come, which in Jesus Christ and His accomplishments is upon us already. Philippians would tell us that we are citizens of that heavenly kingdom. We belong to Christ. We belong to that age. And yet we find ourselves in this overlapping time, these overlapping ages of living in the city of man in an age that is passing away, yet citizens, members of the kingdom of heaven in the age to come. And the challenge is, how then do we live now as citizens of heaven in the midst of of the city of man, the age that is passing away. How does that make sense? And the preacher in Ecclesiastes is looking, and he looks at life lived under the sun apart from Christ. And he sees that it is all vanity. One of the things that is a blessing, uh, not really a blessing, but for preachers is you often get to hear critiques of your sermon. And that's kind of just comes with the territory. And Often, something that you'll hear sometimes is uh, sermons, it, it needs to be more relevant. You know, it needs to speak to me right where I am right now. And obviously, we think that's important, that sermons are relevant, that they speak into your life. Sometimes you hear as well, like, it just needs to be more real, more genuine, more raw, kind of that facade ripped down, all the niceties and cliches done away with, and just something that's more real, something that is, you know, just very relevant for me now. Well, then you've got to love the preacher in Ecclesiastes because it's about as real and raw as it gets. He has stripped away all the facade and all the niceties, and he is forcing us to look at life lived, looking for ultimate fulfillment in the here and now, and how completely hopeless and vain that is. And so this morning, he's going to point us to four areas. And the way we'll go through it is I'll just look at these four areas together in the vanity of putting all of our hope and trust in these four areas. And then we'll move to application at the end. And the application then is the goal of, well, then how then do we live as citizens of the age to come in the midst of this age that is passing away? So he's going to look at four areas together. So we'll jump right into the text here. The four areas are the courts, or you might say the government. Second one is religion. Third one is relationships. The fourth one is work. And these four areas of life, 
that we are putting hope in to deliver justice, truth, and love. And he looks at it and says, it is a hopeless and a vain pursuit to find true justice, true hope, true love in life under the sun apart from Christ. And we will look at the vanity of that. So first, the court of law. You see, he begins there in verse 16 of chapter 3. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. Now, if you leave your home at like 2 in the morning, you head to a shady area of the city, find a bar that's got no windows, and go inside, you're probably going to find some wickedness, right? You would just assume that's a place where there's going to be some bad stuff going on. You know that you're going to encounter that. You know that you're going to encounter that in life. And that's already been laid out for us in Ecclesiastes. But here the preacher is saying, I'm going now to the courts of the land. I'm going to the place where justice should reign. Out of anywhere, this is where justice should be, not wickedness. You know, I know where I can find wickedness. I'm not going there. I'm going to where I can find justice, where I can find truth. And so he heads to the courts. You think of the statue you see outside of many courtrooms of the statue of Lady Justice. She stands there, has a blindfold on, holding the, the scale, the balance in her hand, kind of referring to that blind justice that the courts don't operate on prejudice. They don't operate on racism. They aren't influenced by power and, and money and bribery, but it is blind justice where they weigh out the facts. I mean, are we to the point where anyone still believes that happens in the courts of the government? I mean, we live in some in America and some maybe Western countries in Europe where there is some sense of, of justice in the courts, but you go to a majority of nations and countries in the world, and they are completely ruled by wickedness and injustice, poverty, all kinds of atrocities upon people because injustice and wickedness and bribery and prejudice rules the land. That is the ruling factor of the government of the land. You just look at in the news all the time recently with North Korea, Somalia, Iraq. These countries that are ruled by, by fear, by poverty, by prejudice. It's no different in the time of the preachers. He would look here in Ecclesiastes, okay, life under the sun. Where can, I know there's wickedness, but where can I turn for some justice? I know I'll turn to the courts of the land where, where justice reigns. And there's nothing but wickedness. It's true in America. I don't think that we would pretend it's not. We see a history that's built on prejudice and racism and all kinds of things. We see now a courtroom where bribery, where money, where influence, where lobbyists, where whatever rules and reigns over justice. We see a courtroom that has redefined, legalized, and even funded the murder of hundreds of thousands of unborn babies. And he's saying, in life under the sun, I just want to find some justice. So I'm turning to the one place where where justice reigns. And there's nothing there but wickedness. 
and his heart is turned to hopeless. And you see the comparison that then he makes as, as he looks at life under the sun and he looks for justice. As you continue there in verse 17, it says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Then I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over beasts, for all is vanity. If you're taking a humanistic life under the sun approach, all go to one place. They're all from dust, and to dust all return. And you say, that makes sense then. We're just beasts. We're just animals anyways. I mean, you can, I'm not going to sit up here and go through every atrocity in history, but you can think of animal beast-like atrocities that take place throughout history. You just look at the Holocaust, for one. And it's not hard to imagine, then, someone who's looking at life under the sun, after living much of life, looks back and says, what's the meaning, what's the purpose, what isn't vain about my pursuit? In my pursuit of justice, it, it looks like men are just beasts and animals anyways. And in the end, there is no real justice. The, reader, the writer here would even... would talk about even if justice some way is is met out in the end we're all just dying and returning to dust anyways if you saw a couple weeks ago james holmes the um guy who went into the theater in colorado in 2012 and began firing killed 12 people injured a bunch they just sentenced him they sentenced him to 12 life sentences plus 3,318 years. And the writer of Ecclesiastes would look at that and say, okay, is that justice? He shot people, they died. He's going to be in prison, then he's going to die. The people who made that ruling, they're going to die. We're all returning to dust anyway. Where is the justice in that? He turns, he looks, the court's... (laughs) for hope, for justice, for reassurance, and he's laid low. There is no justice there. I warned you, this will get depressing and then it will get better. So he turns, secondly, from the courts to to religion. In verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So he, he turns now to the religious scene, the, the spiritual leaders, the, what's taking place. And maybe I can find righteousness, some justice there. And again, what he finds is wickedness. Okay, the place I'm supposed to turn for justice, there is not. The place I'm supposed to turn for righteousness, again, there is wickedness. Where am I supposed to find justice and truth and, and hope and love? What am I to put my hope in? You know, I don't think you have to stretch very far to make the connection to our own current day. And the wickedness that is often part of churches and church leaderships. 
I, last Sunday with church being canceled, we flipped on the TV when we got home and went to a station where some, it was kind of like a ministry station or whatever, and we found two different pleas. One was a guy on there saying, if you will just send in $40, God will give you 40 days of blessing. Your $40 for your 40 days of blessing. Another guy was on there saying $70 for seven weeks of harvest. I don't think it was like farmers. I'm guessing it means like money somehow, you know. Whatever you do, it'll bring in a good harvest. And I don't know if they're making it up or not, but they're pretending like they're answering the phone left and right, and they're proclaiming blessings on all kinds of people. You turn to a place where you're supposed to find righteousness, and you find wickedness. I don't know if you saw over the last several weeks, there was an adult site that's set up to promote, set up affairs, basically. Ashley Madison was hacked, and all of the people who had an account with that site, it was released. Ed Stetzer is a guy who does kind of commentaries on, on the church and evangelical church today, and that happened a few weeks ago. I think August 23rd would be the first or second Sunday after that happened. And from his research in Canada and North America, over 400 pastors resigned on August 23rd because they were registered on this account. You know, when I hear that, for me, I'm sad for those churches. I'm sad for those pastors. I'm not shocked. I know the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that we can all struggle with. And I know momentary bad decisions and how that can happen. But if your hope is resting on, on a man, on the performance of, of one person, or, or the performance of a denomination, or a performance of something besides Jesus Christ, eventually everyone's going to disappoint you. I'm going to say something or do something that will offend you at some point. If your hope is resting in me, I'm going to disappoint you. You turn to religious to religion to find hope, and it's gone. I don't know if you saw where the Pope is coming to Philadelphia pretty soon. We were talking about it in men's prayer yesterday. And there are so many people coming that now they're selling tickets to be within was it eight or ten blocks of where the Pope is going to be going by. Just for the hope that maybe you can walk on the sidewalk of the street where the, the Pope passed by. Maybe you'll catch a glimpse of them. They're putting their hope, everything they got, in a man, in a person. Now, hear this right. I'm not saying throw off the church as an institute or throw off organized religion. God commands the church to be the part, a dominant part of our lives where we come and we worship together. He's raised up men who lead, people who are supposed to submit, and leaders who are accountable for your souls. But if you've lived long enough, you've probably been through a bad church situation or know somebody who's been through a bad church situation. If all your rest and your hope is resting right there, it's going to crumble. So he looks for justice. He turns to the court, and he is sorely disappointed. He looks for righteousness, he turns to religion, and again he finds wickedness. Now we see he turns to relationships. We're going to skip down to chapter 4 here. 
the first couple verses, he goes, Again, I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the one side of their oppression, On the one side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. So now he looks generally, he's saying, this is how the world works. There's those who have power, and they oppress the poor. They oppress the weak. They oppress the needy. And there's no one to comfort. There's no one to reach out. There's no one to rescue the poor and the needy. And as the preacher looks at it, in life under the sun... He would say any attempt is hopeless because here's how it works. The rich and the powerful oppress the poor. No one comforts the poor, but everyone worries about impressing the powerful. And so the cycle continues. Because you just, you fear the powerful, you, you fear that influence, you want to impress, you want to, to follow that influence, and so there is no one there to comfort the oppressed. There's no one there to comfort the poor. He says, ultimately, this is how relationships take place. I know this is a a, a pessimistic view. Maybe it's hard for you to go there because you think, I'm just a more optimistic person than that. Like, I actually like my life. I kind of enjoy it. I'm not, like, moping around all the time. I would just challenge you that eventually you'll come to a point where confusion and grief, and sadness, and disappointment set into your heart and life in such a way that you start asking questions. What's the purpose of all this? Is it worth it? Is this all vanity? I don't think in this church there's people who have given themselves over to complete hedonism. But I think, and I know that in my own heart, and in your hearts as well, idols can begin to creep up that you might not even totally recognize where you have so much stock and and so much hope placed in either a relationship you're hoping for or a relationship that you're in, that that is your everything. And what happens when that relationship doesn't happen like you think it should or it begins to deteriorate? Is all hope lost and shattered because you put everything into a relationship? Maybe having children or a desire to have children. That, that's everything to you. But what happens when the Lord doesn't bless and, and, and move that way in your life? He has a different plan for you and you don't have children. Or what happens when tragedy strikes and you lose a child? Or that job, you know, that is your identity. You've worked hard for it. What happens when you lose the job? Or what you've put so much time and money and effort into a career and you finally get the job and you realize, I don't like this job or this career at all. (laughs) I'm not trying to just like depress everyone, but this is a realistic view of life under the sun. If you are putting ultimate hope, ultimate joy, ultimate identity and value and worth in anything outside of Christ, it is vanity. It's a vapor. It's here for a moment, and it's gone. It doesn't matter how good it is for that moment, it's gone. And it will disappoint. So he moves on to the last one here. He moves from relationships to work. 
Well, before we get there, I'll just I'll read verse chapter 4. I'll begin in verse 2 again. As he looks at relationships of those who are being oppressed and those who are oppressing them and, and people who aren't doing anything because they're, they're more worried about, about following the power than they are comforting the oppressed. He goes, And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. You hear what he's saying? It's better for me to be dead than alive. In fact, it'd be better if I was never born. You might think, wow, but it doesn't, I mean, that's so extreme. In the last couple years, even in our church, suicide has touched family members, co-workers. There's teachers who have had students. I can think of a half dozen situations in the last three-ish years, just in this small congregation. And it's people who confess Christ and had a relationship with Him, but when you get clapped, and He says, death is better than life. It'd be better if I was never born of His neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Be as good as the Joneses, or past the Joneses. You want to have family relationships and church faithfulness and, and have you want to be better than the next guy. One author says, leading even to violence. I think this one is hard work that pleases everyone. Or it's hard when you move back and you begin to look at just work in and of this realization. He uses hands as kind of a symbol. It is vanity. That idea of eating your flesh and that, except your own flesh. Well, that's not the way. Happiness, contentment. Idols that begin to pop up that start having real value in the church. I mean, that's good. But, you know, we, we typically don't say it's more important than Christ. The age that is passing away. Life under the sun, the city of man. And obediently, in the age that is passing away, as members of a head first, the kingdom of God. Just run the categories that he goes through. Government. Secondly, don't be surprised and devil evil happens that we act like the world has just ended. I know, you know the battle that is just working hard to get ahead. Thirdly, don't put all your hope in the age that is passing away of being elected. I was working at Starbucks part-time at that point. And just this over-the-top celebration. But then on the end, all your hope is in, who was the other? Mitt Romney. If he had been elected to where you're either devastated or you're out of your mind. I don't know, maybe we are in trouble, but... <laughs> And then the, fear God and keep his commandments. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. As the Lord of hosts, render true judgment. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. The parable of the Good Samaritan and what that looks like. And we offer comfort to the needy. Justice, truth the poor, to the needy, trapped in 
or in human trafficking or sex slavery. Women's ministry is um, the orphan care ministry here at Redeemer is doing a respite event the last Saturday of this month. Your parents can drop them off, go enjoy a couple hours of respite. Specific application. In the area of religion, there is a time for every matter and for every work. I mean, if you follow evangelical Brit podcast preacher can live his life passing away lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life the author here in ecclesiastes the idea of contentment with what god provides this is a balance to walk here because you need to do well at the end but don't get confused that hard work seeking first the kingdom of God. Lord, the great treasure and trouble with it. Proverbs 16, verse 8, Better is a little with right quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Yes. Not just constant turmoil and striving. Yes, he gets relevant. He gets real. He deals with the things we face. Relationships were disappointed, empty, and unfulfilled. However, Christ. I'm going to we pray now that it will strengthen and shape our hearts and our minds for your honor and for you, as we remember and celebrate and savor and participate in the accomplishments of Christ.